Hey y'all. So when it comes to bodies, weight loss is not really something that I'm pursuing right now. But as you know, one of Vanessa's family members has been taking a GLP-1 medication and it's worked really well for him. So if that is part of your journey, you should check out the Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Roe's partner handles all the insurance paperwork to help get the medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to their provider on demand for any questions. Go to ro.co slash infamous. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash infamous. Campsite Media. Oh, and you know what I have here? I have the Guinness Book of World Records with Keith in it. Oh, really? Let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in Albany at Nancy Salzman's house, the number two in Nexium. She's extolling the virtues of Keith Ranieri. Nexium's founder. Okay, intelligence. Let's find it. He's here. So, IQ. So it's, uh, let's see. Intelligence quotients are IQs. Most exclusive high. Okay. So the most exclusive high IQ society is the Ron Hoffman Research Group of the USA, whose 17 members. I leaned over and saw this listing myself. In Keith Ranieri's name in the Guinness Book of World Records. 1989 edition. He said it's sort of like winning the Wimbledon of problem solving. Right. He said, I'm a geek. Ever since I was a little kid, I like to solve problems. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, right? Yeah. The only thing is, Keith got in here through sort of a loophole. This group involves asking volunteers to take an IQ test. And that test has been widely criticized as a metric of intelligence. Some scientists aren't impressed. But for Nancy, this was another sign of Keith's genius. And she wasn't the only one who thought that. He was one of the smartest men in the world and just an incredible man. Keith had found a cure for Tourette's. Keith developed a model called Rational Inquiry, which is the model that we use in this program. We refer to Rational Inquiry as a technology. Where he goes, well, it's based on a new mathematics that I've developed. And I said, like, you've developed a new mathematics? He goes, yeah, yeah. And now I'd meet Keith Ranieri himself, see if he lived up to the hype. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Infamous. I'm Vanessa Gregoriadis. You are listening to the third episode of our four-part series, The Inner Circle. Remember how I said earlier that it was possible I was meeting Nexium because they were combating bad press? The foundation of our beliefs is this rickety thing. It puts us in the same category as Charles Manson Jonestown. The worst thing is now I have increased anxiety because I'm. people are saying that I'm a brainwashed sex slave all over the internet. Well, turns out they had a much more hardcore reason to talk to me. The government was about to indict them for a whole shit ton of stuff. 
Now, it wasn't specifically carving a brand in women's flesh, but it was things like racketeering, which is what the government likes to take the mob down for. You know, means you're a, a bunch of people who are in a conspiracy to do criminally-minded stuff. But how did the leaders of Nexium know that they were going to be indicted? Well, they had the best lawyers money could buy. Now, usually, that type of lawyer is a former prosecutor, and they get slipped all sorts of information from friends in the know. So in this case, Nexium had been tipped off that some of them, at least Keith, were going to get indicted real soon. What do people do in a situation like this? Well, sometimes they flee the country, and there's usually one place they go. Mexico. So right before Christmas, I flew to Guadalajara. That's after the break. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com infamous. That's rocketmoney.com infamous. rocketmoney.com infamous. Welcome to True Spies. The podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark disappeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. This is Infamous from Campside Media. Guadalajara was a city of vertical height and purple bucanvillia. It sort of reminded me of Los Angeles. I thought I'd meet Keith right away, but it turned out that Claire Bronfman was here too. I wondered why that was. I mean, why not Allison Mack or the Salzmans? But as I talked to Claire, I started to understand the reason. Claire was the wallet. She was the heiress to the Seagram's fortune. And her dad is a pillar of the 1%. You know, Mandela died uh, the same year that my dad died. The thing that was so moving to me was that I saw so many people from all around the world be affected by him mm-hmm. and the work that he had done in such a beautiful way. Yeah. Like, he really changed our world. When my dad died, I got letters from people of gratitude. Like, my father did, he, he shifted things. Mm-hmm. He left an impact. I want to do that too. 
Nexium was the way that Claire Bronfman would leave an impact on the world. And so she had spent many, many of her millions on the group. She was the money. She had to be here in Mexico with Keith. Perhaps he couldn't afford to let her stay in the U.S. and possibly lose her fervor about him. How much do you record Keith speaking? Is it like a lot of anytime he appears at a center or beyond that? or We, we record him anytime he's talking to something, somebody about a con, like about something, asking him questions about concepts. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes he has some profound things and none of us are good enough to remember it. <laughs> I got in a car with Claire to go find Keith. We made our way down the Guadalajara hills all the way to the bottom. Keith wasn't in a mansion overlooking the city as I would have imagined a cult leader. He wasn't a king perched on top of a hill. He was sort of in hiding, right? So he was in a drab condo building on a side street. I rang the doorbell for a first floor apartment, then crossed through a lobby that had that kind of polished marble floor that you see in a lot of South American countries. I reached a dark wooden door and a young Mexican woman opened it. She was holding an infant on her hip. He was a boy with a full head of black hair. The woman said they were going to get ice cream. She left super quickly. It almost seemed like she wanted to get away from me. Her name's Mariana. So, uh, the initial reason that I came down to Mexico was because I actually spent a lot of time here just mm-hmm. quickly, but um, Mariana is a very dear friend of mine. And I don't want to jeopardize her visa. Okay, so the story was that Keith had come to Mexico because Mariana, the, the woman I just met, had to come here and re-up her visa. It was strange, but just then, Keith burst forth from the bedroom. He was short and stout yeah, yeah, yeah. and full of energy. Can we record at the same time? Yeah, you can record okay. it. Do you have a- he had a ruddy sorry. face and a pair of Coke bottle glasses on that sort of concealed large blue Um, eyes. The first thing I thought was, really? Is this it? One of the reasons why I haven't spoken in the past and now it's um, how I am. Is it right to try to win in a court of public opinion when it's dishonorable? I was always impressed, you know, if you study some of the people like the Gandhis of the world, they do these actions that have a a wonderful aspect that if they're wrong, it's not damaging, it's illustrative. Mm -hmm. So trying to uphold those sort of principles is sometimes very trying in times like this. You have uh, this new baby, there's so much hate already that's going on. Wait a second, why was Keith talking about the baby I just saw at the front door? But I had a more pressing question. So yeah. are you in Mexico because you think there might be an indictment in New York? And what if there is? Well, no, they haven't, I haven't been subpoenaed or anything. Um, no, I, I am now, I didn't come to Mexico for that reason, but with all of the hate going on and there are people who are scared for me to be back in my neighborhood and, you know, our lawyers and consultants say you're probably better off just stay still. I'd intended on being here probably through the holiday anyway, so 
-hmm. We'll see what happens, hopefully. Um, and I believe it's true within a few weeks to a month, I think things will calm down and not be at least as hateful. I mean, are you worried about there being an indictment? Are you worried about that happening? If you had asked me that a year ago or six months ago, I would have said it's not a concern because there's nothing wrong. We came here because we're going to spend Christmas. We're finding a place to go where we can go and spend Christmas. Uh, it's like a, a beach house, hopefully. At this point, I wondered, who was we? I also wondered about exactly how this was being funded. I don't pay taxes because I live under the poverty level. Mm -hmm. But I live a really simple life. Keith didn't keep any money in his name. Maybe Keith just didn't want to have any assets. Um, what if um, you want to buy your Lacoste shirt? I didn't buy this. I don't even know where it came from. <laughs> no, quite honestly. Um, I, as a matter of fact, clothes. until I put this on this morning, I don't think I've worn it before, <laughs> and I didn't know about it. It was a lot from a guy I had now researched. His mom died early. He was a science guy. Back in 1990, Keith started a multi-level marketing company. It was called Consumers Byline. They recruited members and offered discounts on things like groceries and appliances. His idea is to arrange for you to combine your purchasing power, everything you buy, with millions of other Americans into one big purchasing family to give us all some clout when it comes to getting a better price. His name is Keith Ranieri. His idea is called Consumer's Byline. And I'd like you to meet this impressive young man. Keith, happy to see you again. Yes, happy to see you too. It's an amazing idea. Yes, well, sometimes it even amazes me. Now, attorneys general accused Keith of running a pyramid scheme, and he soon shut the company down. But Nexium seems like it used a lot of MLM, multi-level marketing principles. Alison Mack and India and Claire, all the other members, they seemed like they were constantly being pressured to bring in new members, which increased the value of the top of the pyramid. At least, it was supposed to. Okay, Keith had a nice home in Clifton Park, outside Albany, where all the Nexium members lived. And he also played the stock market, the commodities market, to be precise. He wasn't very good at it. In fact, he got so turned around in his gambling on the commodities market that he lost $66 million of the Bronfman family fortune. But this was just another thing he was taking from women. Since I was finally sitting down with him in his crazy Mexican hideout, I really did need to ask him about DOS, that master slave group that Nexium members were calling the sorority. Let's talk about the sorority for a little while. I mean, did you know about it? Did you not know about it? Was it a... I knew some. Know, some uh, I mean, yeah. some of those people I've been close with in some cases, decades. Mm -hmm. So I knew some things about it. The thing with the sorority, too, I, if you look at the sorority and you look at it compared to the Omega Psi fraternity, mm -hmm. we had one of those branches on campus. We went to college, African-American. They brand themselves mm -hmm. with an Omega. Michael Jordan has brand mm -hmm. the Omega. They, 
and they brand these things to be very visible and they make it so they go puffy and things like that. I don't know, a group of 10 or 15 women in a suburbia, their average age is like 40, getting together and deciding to have a little hip brand. If that were guys, it would make news. The fact right. that it's women and the fact that it makes news is reinforcing, unfortunately, a negative stereotype of women, I think. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what? What negative stereotype? Well, if women or men are equal, a group of women getting a brand should get the, the same attention as a group of men branding each other. And we see that's not the case. Mm -hmm. But talking to Keith felt a little like sitting in a dorm room with a college freshman who's taken one philosophy class. He likes to make seemingly relevant comparisons. Fraternities brand each other, too. Then acknowledge the opponent's starting belief, men and women should be equal, and twist it around into an apparent truism that simply doesn't hold water. In this case, he's arguing that Nexium branding shouldn't be newsworthy. Keith is saying frat brothers branding each other in the 1980s is the same as a group of women who call each other master and slave, who have all traded incriminating collateral, who are branding themselves with one man's initials. He's doing a master class in deflection. So what, I mean, what is the relationship then to your mind between women and men as it stands today? Is, is, I've, they're not equal, right? They're equal, but different. Equal but different? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I put that to you. The, the term, I, I have a math background. Yeah. It, it would be better to say equivalent as opposed to equal. Equivalent, okay, yeah. They form two classes. Mm -hmm. um, I think men are better than women and women are better than men in a whole different things. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Mm -hmm. We experience the world differently. Mm -hmm. Even sex in one of the uh, trainings, there's a metaphor for it to show the difference, you know. How would you feel, for example, if you went to 100 people and took your finger and put it in their mouth? That, that has a certain distance to it. But if you had 100 people come and put their fingers in your mouth, that feels far more intimate. The act okay, of yeah. sex for a female is far more invasive in its nature. This conversation was starting to feel like a wild joyride. And I had no idea where it would go next. Like, how did we get from math to penetration? I'm coming to learn more. I suspect my understanding now, it's sort of in a, it's like in the middle of brain surgery. Um, I see men and women as a system. I see it as a wonderfully essential system. I'm sorry, I, I mean, I walk around thinking about this for hours and hours and hours. So when I yabber for an hour, mm -hmm. that's a summary. Okay. Uh, um, okay, just to interject for a moment, I had been told that Keith liked to walk 14 to 20 miles a day. Within Nexium, it was understood that these walks were about helping Keith meditate on and solve the world's problems. You know, first I hypothesized, could there be a planet with only one sex? We were hermaphrodites. That would not have the struggle and the dynamics. We would not be a check and balance system. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you could have a civilization that arose from that. What about the How women in the sorority? Were they at all, were you sleeping with those women or were they in those, I mean, beyond affectionate relationship? Was there a... Well, first they, of all, I, I know a small minority of the women in the sorority. Mm -hmm. 
I know some women in sorority from Nexium. There are ones that are partners mm -hmm. that were, again, yeah, I have at least one polyamorous partner that right. is in the sorority. Right. But this was a, a woman that we haven't been very sexually active. I guess mm -hmm. some people would say, oh, well, you don't have a sexual relationship with her. That's not true. Totally true. Right. Okay. But it's... Because I'm just saying, the bind that you're in is that people think the sorority was kind of like uh, your hunting ground or something. And that's, that's not, not, only, that... not only have I never had a sex slave, I wouldn't want one. And I suspect <laughs> with the money that I've had in my life, I don't know, a million dollars can buy you a lot of fancy sex if you wanted it. There is also a sense that, you know, what did you know about it and was it done at your behest and was it something that was you know if these initials were yours and allison's and but they have to be some because you see that they're there though no but, they, but they're not is initials. it just like weird that they you do you believe that's a coincidence of what the initials that, are in the well i guess they're they're my initials if you like flip it in a mirror image and round it off and then and push them into right. each other. Okay. But that's not how I sign my initials. And as far as I know, when I first heard that it that like was interpreted my initials, my first thought was I was shocked and I didn't feel good about it. And then I thought about it and I said, okay, well, what if they put Albert Einstein? Mm -hmm. Or they tattooed Albert Einstein, would I care? And I said, no. Mm -hmm. So the other part of me said, well what if it was my name? Who cares? And I, I've said this to people. It's not my name. I would feel funny if it were my name. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's particularly right that I feel funny if it's my name. I'm not quite sure. I haven't worked that out completely. Mm -hmm. um, but no, it's, it's not. The bottom line is it's not Allison's initials. It's not my initials. I don't think I should feel funny that it might be my initials carved into women's pelvic regions without them knowing. I don't know. I think there's just a lot of loose lips here. Mm -hmm. I asked him if he was polyamorous. So are you polyamorous with different women who are in? In polyamory, people have multiple romantic and often sexual relationships at once, and everyone is consenting. It's quite different from polygamy, which is about having more than one wife, or rarely husband, at a time, and in a way that not everyone involved might be happy about. So was polyamory what was going on here? But I just think there's a lot of benefit in saying, like, yes, we got super involved with each other. You know, we had romantic relationships, we had affectionate relationships, and... If you can explain to me, yes, these things happen and it's true, but this um, whole corporation was not about bringing these women to me. Like, that's what you are, I think, part of why you and I are sitting here right now is trying to get more of the truthful story out and less the kind of like, oh, these women were just coming to him. It was all just about Keith's desires. In the end, there was no real program. You know what I mean? Like, but you need, but to explain that, you have to be kind of honest about that stuff. Otherwise, it doesn't. People well, are like, oh, well, I'll just go with this way because I know there's some weird sexual thing going on here that I don't quite understand. So maybe it's that. You know, I, I have no problem with the honest stuff. Right. I'm protecting people I'm involved with. Mm -hmm. 
and and, I, and maybe this is stupid stubborn as opposed to so and i'm i can be moved mm-hmm. if it were a choice of disgracing one of my partners and somehow saving this by saying I'm polyamorous, I wouldn't disgrace my partner. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do that. I understand I certainly don't need any sort of sorority to bring me partners. Right. I'm not a fun person to have a sexual relationship with. If I meet you and we have a type of connection, intimacy, first there's the talk. I ask you and I talk to you about, are you interested potentially in that? Is that how you feel? I feel this way, I feel that way, et cetera, et cetera. Often, that's not interest. That's fine. Ends there. If the interest is there, then you have to go to the next date. In other words, it's not like sex right away. Then there's I, I in the other people who I'm polyamorous with approve, and they need to. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they do, but not all the time. After that all happens, then there's the possibility of having a sexual relationship. Sometimes. I'll know someone for years before I'm involved with them sexually. It sometimes is quicker than that, but it's never quick. It's never a one night stand, never one week. So they agree to a type of one-sided monogamy for a certain amount of time. Wait, so just to be clear, Keith is saying he requires his polyamorous partners to only sleep with him in a kind of one-sided monogamy while he gets to sleep with multiple people. Now, that is really not how polyamorous relationships are supposed to work. In fact, it doesn't sound like polyamory at all. It sounds like a harem. What if you were to say at times in my life I've been polyamorous? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, and and I've not been married distinctly for that. And I honor the institution of marriage. Mm Uh, in in some ways in the old-fashioned sense, because a lot of people still hold it that way. When you say married, people make a certain assumptions. So there's been that, and it's, it's not an easy debate. Now, this part of the interview has always stuck in my mind, because sitting there, I felt he was being real during it, but it was so hard to know. We were talking about marriage when he mentioned one of his girlfriends who had recently died. Her name is Pam. You know, when Pam was dying, should have I married her? I I mean, she and I spoke about it uh, because I certainly felt that way. Mm -hmm. She was my lead partner. Um, And she didn't want you to? Or she? Not didn't want. Mm -hmm. It wasn't important to her. Can we not talk too much about this? Yeah, of course. I had a person crying in front of me. It didn't matter who he was. I felt bad for him. But I still didn't know if he was telling the truth. More after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, 
and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. You're listening to Infamous from Campside Media. I flew home on the plane pretty confused. One theory I would come to later was that Keith was genuinely hurt by his lead girlfriend Pam's death after a long illness. And the secret slave society that came to fruition afterwards was a function of grief. It was Keith's need to make sure that all his girlfriends stayed with him in Pam's absence. A lifetime commitment to him. But little did I know that while I was thinking all this, the U.S. government was also collecting evidence that would make it clear exactly who Keith was. India's mom was working with the government. Other defectors were doing all they could. The indictments were going forward. They were trying to get Keith out of Mexico and into prison. And remember, since Nexium loves to tape record everything because they're paranoid, and because Keith's words are gospel, the government would eventually get some tapes that were chilling. No matter what he had told me, it seemed like there was no saying no to Keith when he wanted to have you. He'd had sex with Allison many times, including a threesome that she thanked him profusely for. And he had led the sex slave group. More than that, it was his idea. He believed in his twisted mind that he was creating an army of sex slaves. It's something that could be really important. I imagine, for example, we could change the presidential vote of the United States in four years or something. Could do that. Um, I believe. Keith here is talking to a few of the slaves, and he's talking to them specifically about recruiting more women. The slaves should look also to really find women of influence. So any others? I know you're, so you're three in your group. She got really scared when we started talking. Really freaked out. Um, they all do. They all do. And she like questioned even more. Well, maybe I don't want to do that. You know this whole. Exactly. Don't. No, this whole ESP demand. All of a sudden, everything came into question. Keith knew that women didn't want to do this, but his moral code told him it was okay. And if any of them defied him, there was no mercy. They were punished to the fullest extent that Keith could devise. Listen to this. The young Mexican woman who had opened the door in Guadalajara, Mariana, the one with the baby, She was actually one of three very young sisters. 
They were mostly underage when their parents joined Nexium and moved to Albany. And eventually, Keith would have sex with all three of the sisters. One of them, Mariana, he got pregnant. That's why she had an infant with her. But her sister, he felt, had been defiant. She had not been subservient enough to him. The government had a recording of Keith talking about this sister. I don't understand why. And if you listen really closely, Do you know the things that Danny did? You can hear someone translating Keith's words. She was given certain responsibilities. Um, and certain privileges which she took but did not do what was necessary to uphold them. She's very spoiled and very manipulative. Everything that she does is orchestrated just to get whatever she wants with no care, no heart, no love, no conscience of what happens to other people. She needed to be disciplined. She needed to suffer. And so what Keith did, it was so very odd. He told her to stay in her bedroom. And she stayed in there, in her parents' house, for two years. Now, I want to be clear. She could have walked out of the room. She chose not to. This was the kind of power Keith had over women. Now, the government had one more tape that was also deeply disturbing. It proved that Keith was involved in the brand and the gathering of the dirty pictures and the home deeds that were called collateral, and there was no sorority at all. This is a tape recording of Keith with two female Nexium members who are in his harem. They're taking a walk and they're hanging on his every word. Okay, so with respect to thus, the crafts, I was thinking of the craft that does the branding. And I think that's also the craft that handles collateral, that handles understanding the formation, the, the need, and also, if necessary, executing the collateral. So they also have an ethics bent to them. All collateral, not, I mean... All collateral. Mm -hmm. There's a, that's part of their craft. Okay. They understand it, they know how to do it, they know how to make it, they come to understand it better. It. Yes. So, sort of like what I tasked Ursulauda to do at one point. Uh -huh. We'll take a left, so this is part of the truck process. So then there's... Um, Keith's Ayn Randian selfishness had told him that anything was permissible, as long as people would accept it. So he asked for all sorts of crazy, horrible things that made his followers uncomfortable. And because Nexium members were conditioned to push themselves to do things they were uncomfortable with, they did it. I thought about something Allison had said. Because it really is about women coming together and pledging to one another a full-time commitment to become our most powerful and embodied selves mm -hmm. by pushing on our greatest fears, by exposing our greatest vulnerabilities, by knowing that we would stand with each other no matter what, mm -hmm. by upholding our word, by overcoming pain. 
But it wasn't about women coming together. It was Keith pulling all the strings. He had been the one asking for collateral. Remember when I said that that area outside Albany, Clifton Park, it it didn't feel communal the way the people were living. It was like they were all living in a development separately. But really what was set up was sort of like big love. There were women living in different houses, and he was just tomcatting around the streets at night, going from one to the next to the next. Keith had 20-odd girlfriends, and a bunch of them were slaves. He was quite the horny holy man, and far from the first. There was much more in the tapes that would come out that would show that Keith was not only directing the slaves, but he certainly didn't care about disgracing his partners. More next time on Infamous. Is charades is a game where you act out <laughs> oh, the name of something so that your team can guess what it is that you are acting out. It probably should be a more vulnerable position. Hands probably above the head being held, almost like tied down, like sacrificial, whatever. And the person should ask to be branded. Please brand me, it would be an honor. Investigators found Rainier hiding in a villa with several women. He denies all the accusations. Infamous is a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It's created, executive produced, and hosted by Gabriel Sherman and me, Vanessa Gregoriadis. I wrote this episode with Shoshi Shmulovitz, our managing producer and editor. Some of this reporting appeared in the New York Times Magazine in 2018. The executive producers at Campside are Josh Dean, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. Rajiv Gola is our senior producer. Our associate producers are Lily Smith, Grace Heerman, and Garrett Graham. This episode was edited by Natalie Robomed, sound designed by Alistair Sherman, fact-checked by Sarah Krolewski, and recorded by Ewen Leitremuen. Our mix engineer is David Devereaux. Thank you to PJ Vote, and thank you to Campside's operations team, Doug Slaywin, Aaliyah Papes, and Destiny Dingle.